Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is on CT of small bowel gist tumors, imaging and theory. I'm not sure I came up with that name, but it sounded really good. And this is a talk I put together literally about a week ago. And it's interesting, you know, gist tumors, and we've spoken about them, and I've shown them in some of my small bowel talks. We speak about gist tumors in our uh, stomach talk. We speak about gist tumors. We speak about GI bleeding. And I realize, and there's been articles about this, that gist tumors are becoming much more common, three or four-fold increase over the past 30 or 40 years. And so we see a lot of them in practice. So I thought I would go through some of the various appearances and things you need to be paying attention to. So just some common facts. Gist tumors are the most common mesenchymal tumor of the GI tract. There's an increased incidence in neurofibromatosis patients, and I'll show you some examples later. About 60 to 70% occur in the stomach, about 30% in the small bowel. They can present, particularly the small bowel, as GI bleeding when the lesions are smaller. And the tumors are very vascular. We'll cover some of those cases. The larger tumors are usually of higher grade than the smaller tumors. And because we're so good now in picking up these tumors, there's a question how to manage the patients. Does everyone need surgery? It's very much like the issues with neuroendocrine tumors of the pancreas, where we used to miss 70% of them, and now we pick up 98% of them, and we pick up many incidental lesions. So as imaging gets better, management decisions, in a sense, change. This article by Kay. Gist tumors can arise anywhere in the GI tract, most commonly in the stomach, followed by the small bowel. We also see them in the duodenum, and in this case, less than 5% were in the duodenum, but they have unusual appearances in the duodenum, and they can be very large and at times simulate pancreatic cancer. Uh, there was another article more recently by Scola. Stomach 60%, jejunum ileum 30%, duodenum 5% and rarely in the colon, esophagus, or appendix. They mention the clinical presentations of variable, which we know. They talk about the lesions as being well circumscribed, usually arising from muscularis propria of the GI tract. The tendency, and I think a very important factor that helps me, particularly the small bowel, differentiating the smaller lesions would be the fact they're exophytic. And I say that when I speak about carcinoids versus gist, Carcinoids are endoluminal, just tend to get exophytic. There's usually some growth toward the lumen, and about half of just will exhibit uh, mulsk mucosal ulceration. So, but there's a good extra luminal component. The article also goes on to say that the size is variable from several millimeters to over 30 centimeters. The higher the tumor size, the more likely it is to have malignant potential and spread. This article also then goes through the fact that the poor prognostic factors, over 5CM, lobulated, heterogeneous enhancement, presence of mesenteric fat infiltration, ulceration, lymphadenopathy, or exophytic growth. Now, of course, the larger a tumor is, the more concerning it is. But I will admit, when you look at the pathology reports, even on the smaller tumors, the pathologists are very careful. They'll say, well, there's no malignant potential, but it could have a malignant potential, so you better watch it very carefully. Um, again, this idea about enhancement becomes very, very important. One thing that also with just tumors is rare to see calcification. Remember, with carcinoid tumors, calcifications are indeed common. And sometimes with gist tumors, I think the biggest challenge 
and the larger ones is not so much to see them but to really recognize that they're really small bowel because I have a few cases and maybe we'll show some of them where the tumors are so large it's just really hard to figure out what their epicenter is. Now in terms of management when the smaller resection is the way to go if tumors appear unresectable then target therapy is really the ideal thing because mutational activation of TK receptors like KIT simulates growth, targeted therapy agents and tyrosine kinase inhibitors, selectively blocking the GIST growth signal. And remember, the, this is one of the most classic tumors because of that tyrosine kinase factor. And therapy, uh, this targeted therapy if the surgical resection has become the standard of care to prevent recurrence. And many people have put on this tyrosine kinase inhibitors when they have aggressive tumors to prevent recurrence. Um, SCOLA again, imaging evaluation of GIST tumors using rapid reduction in size to indicate treatment response to targeted therapies can be used uh, in replacement basically for the resist criteria in those instances with rapid decrease in tumor size and number of lesions has decreased. However, it's important to rep remember that size criteria alone underestimate the patient's response as stable or initially increasing size has been described. Uh, FDG PET can increase the accuracy of the rhesus criteria. So again, one of the things that happens with immunotherapy in general is sometimes tumors become very necrotic and so they begin to look bigger before they look smaller. And so at times you might say, oh my God, the patient's progressing on therapy, but it's just simply a good response. And so you don't want to be telling the referring docs the wrong thing. The most frequent clinical indication for imaging, which led to detection of small bowel gist in our series was small bowel bleeding or suspected bleeding. And that is the case for the smaller tumors. Abdominal pain was the indication for imaging in about one third of patients with cancer surveillance in asymptomatic patients accounting for about 9% and clinical suspicions for possible bowel tumor in 13%. And this idea of GI bleeding is very important. Lower GI bleeding accounts for about 24% of cases of GI bleeding. The disease spectrum varies from chronic and intermittent blood loss to severe acute hemorrhage. Mortality goes from 4 to 5% typically, but can be as high as 23% depending on some of the other factors within the patient. Now, the thing about GI bleeding, lower GI bleeding specifically, we always think about diverticulitis as the cause. And that's probably a good reason, but you have to remember that large and small bowel tumors, be they GIS or adenocarcinoma, are definitely possibilities. One of the reasons people often present late is because nobody thinks about the small bowel as a source of the patient's problem, and they don't do any studies like CT to pick things up. Remember, people talk about how with small bowel tumors in general, six to 18 month delay from presentation to diagnosis. So let's look at a few more uh, features. Again, this idea about muscularis propria would explain the exophytic nature of the tumor. And as I mentioned, presentation anywhere from bowel obstruction, particularly with larger tumors, intraluminal hemorrhage, intraperitoneal bleeding, secondary to rupture. Now, one of the things, of course, is bowel obstruction is not as frequent as you would think, because with the large tumors, with a big exophytic component, they're more displacing rather than invading. So that becomes important. 
when you look at some of the parameters this is a chart looking at um, different tumors from unenhanced arterial enteric and venous and you can see just tumors enhance around 120 up to 120 and they wash out a little bit um, neuroendocrine tumors these same numbers are not a whole lot different adenocarcinomas lymphomas are going to be less both at their arterial phase the enteric phase and even at the venous phase but you can see from this that the phase that probably gives you the best spread is going to be the arterial phase so that's very important to remember now again size of tumors median tumor size for those considered high risk is 8.9 percent again the um, greater than 5 cm tends to be the magic number although most gist tumors express active kit receptor which is the cd117 um, that really is crucial for diagnosis cd117 uh, and gist tumors helps us distinguish them from other tumors so it's a very important thing to look at now what about the ct findings well intramural mass when it's small can go endoluminal or exophytic and again exophytic is more classic can have central ulcerations or necrosis usually does not have significant adenopathy and 3d is very helpful let's look at some examples here's a case of a 1 to 1.5 centimeter vascular lesion within the patient's duodenum now if you said carcinoid tumor I would say you're probably right you might be right there's no desmoplastic reaction but carcinoids of the stomach typically don't cause that and they may be just vascular lesions within the stomach and this could easily be a carcinoid this was a gist tumor here it is again this is only two centimeters you realize of course we have a great protocol nice arterial injection and you can see the lesion really well but imagine if you didn't have a good injection there's the lesion again on the coronal view it would be extremely easy to miss this you also can see why these tumors can be mistaken for other processes be it primary in the duodenum or primary in the pancreas or even peripancreatic here's the same patient with volume rendering showing you the uh, venous phase you see portal vein smv but there's the enhancing lesion almost looking like a foreign body in the patient's duodenum it's just coming right off the wall of the duodenum here it is again looking at the MIP imaging we and volume rendering where you see very nicely the GDA hepatic artery SMA and again one more look at that now I have been looking and here's the coronal and the axial I've been working on this with cinematic rendering and so you see very nicely that enhancing lesion in the duodenum and I'm trying to figure out can we accentuate things with cinematic rendering look how nicely that mass shows up in the patient's duodenum very nicely shown there or on this other set of images so just a very nice way of detecting the tumor now as I mentioned this tumor is intraluminal and you would have thought about carcinoid tumor we like to think about just as being exophytic or at least in part being exophytic but often they're almost totally exophytic here's another one look at this mass four centimeters enhancing but necrotic coming off the duodenum it's exophytic you're not going to confuse this with a pancreatic mass it's very nicely shown and look at the coronal view it pushes into the lumen a bit but its major target is that exophytic component nicely shown there here it is with volume rendering again that's a classic gist a duodenal 
carcinoid is going to be vascular, but it's going to be endoluminal. It'll be inside the lumen, not exophytic. Exophytic small bowel tumors are not going to be METs either, typically. I guess anything could be exophytic because it grows large enough, but these are classic. So minimal inside the stomach, but every minimal inside the duodenum, but everything. Beautiful example there. Here's a couple more images showing that. When you see a lesion that's in the lumen, but mainly exophytic, wherever it is in the small bowel, you better be thinking about a gastrointestinal stromal tumor. And here's another set of images of that. I did this with volume rendering, classic color coding, which you can see here, which shows it okay, nothing spectacular. But there it is on the cinematic, a really nice presentation, a really good look at that exophytic tumor. And if you see this, and if you've seen it before, you should be able to make the diagnosis. So it's not going to be, um, I don't think it's that tricky a diagnosis. Again, beautifully shown on the cinematic in a coronal 3D perspective. Here's another example. This one's a little bit more vascular, but basically the same thing. This one, the challenge is, could I say this is not a neuroendocrine tumor off the patient's pancreas? Sometimes it's hard. You look at it here on the axials, I could convince you it's coming from the pancreas. I could convince you it's coming from the duodenum. And I could convince you it's coming from in the space, like a um, we talk about some of the neuroendocrine tumors sitting in the space between duodenum and head of pancreas. Here the lesion is smooth, sharply marginated. But again, could this not be pancreas? And here it is where you see it very nicely off a branch vessel, off the GDA and hepatic artery. But again, it's something you would have considered as a definite possibility. Here it is again, okay? And that was a duodenal just tumor. Again, different appearance, vascular, a little bit more necrotic on delayed phase imaging. And to show you a third one, this is bilobed. Again, pancreas, duodenum, carcinoid, just tumor, lymphoma, metastasis from renal cell. What is going on here? Well, this is the same thing. Very vascular. There it is in the coronal view. And that view with the projection almost looks like it's coming off the kidney, but it's separate from the kidney, obviously. Just a beautiful example of a GIST tumor. And here it is again, just to show you a couple more views of that. And you see how these lesions are exophytic. You see how these lesions often have vascular supply. Look at those branch vessels off the GDA with the neovascularity. This is malignant. And here it is again. So you can see we're getting very good at detecting them because it's really technique. Fast injections. If I'm doing rule-out gist tumor, I'm looking at for a small bowel tumor, I'm doing dual-phase imaging because it's going to help me pick up many things. And here's just a good example of the cinematic on that patient, really nicely showing you the cross-section of the duodenum and the exophytic nature of the tumor with still an endoluminal component. And here's just another example of showing you that uh, lesion, but also showing you the patient had evidence of uh, metastasis in the liver. But again, look at this beautiful example here, right? There it is, really nicely shown. There's the mass, right lower quadrant. And again, really well shown. So again, think about that as a typical issue. Now, these cases all were, for the most part, vascular. There was some confusion. But here's a really tough case. This is a big mass here, which was sent in for pancreatic cancer. But you realize there's no common duct dilatation or pancreatic duct dilatation. This can't be pancreas. Things that occur in this region could be nodes. Maybe it's just very in, much enlarged nodes. 
But it's possible. But it's not pancreas because there's no ductal dilatation. And then you look at it a little bit closer, you say, well, it abuts the portal vein, but not invading the portal vein. And it abuts the SMV, but not invading the SMV. And we can see it, but it's stretching the GDA and hepatic artery, but the vessels are widely patent. There's no SMA involvement. And you can see there is some on the MIP imaging neovascularity in the mass, but you can see the displacement of the patient's GDA. And you think about it, that's what it was. Okay, so you realize the variations, and here it was suspected as a pancreatic mass, and we're able to say, no, this is going to be not pancreatic mass, and you got to think about just tumor. So I showed you a bunch of vascular ones, but you can see very large ones in the pancreas as well. Here's another example where there's an intraluminal mass. Again, you can think about carcinoid. This lesion is not very uh, much enhancing, but there it is, and here it is on the axial views. It looks like an endoluminal mass that's about to intercept or just reduce from an interception, and there it is there. And you can see, uh, here would be the same picture on the 3D rendering where you, the tumor does grow directly into the patient's duodenum. And here it is here is again. So just a very nice example of a different look to a GIST tumor. Again, you can confuse it with other pathologies, and that can indeed be very critical. Now, I mentioned before that sometimes you couldn't separate just from the pancreatic head. This is another good example of that. There's a big mass which really looks like pancreas. Maybe it's duodenum, or maybe it's between the pancreas and duodenum. But nevertheless, there it is. It's slightly enhancing, and on the coronal, the enhancement is, in fact, better appreciated, which you can see there and there. And then I give you the 3D, and you can see it very nicely there. So again, duodenal gist tumors can be great mimickers. It's hard to always diagnose them, but it's important to always think about them. This article by K, duodenal gist with solitary masses, well-defined, average diameter 7 cm, second portion of the duodenum most common, ulcerations were uncommon, I mean, calcification was uncommon, mixed growth pattern was more common, rim enhancement occurred, Arterial blood supply, intratumoral vasculature, and draining veins were all detected. So you can see very much matching what I showed you. And that article goes on to just reinforce primary duodenal just tumors are often large. And I showed you the last case that was large, but many of them are small. Again, the ones that are very vascular will tend to be smaller. Um, in this series, all the cases with solitary masses, I will agree we typically don't see metastatic or we don't see two primaries in patients with small bowel gist tumor. And here's some of the statistics. The largest mean diameter of masses was in the duodenum. Okay. And then that article also goes on. Mean tumor attenuation uh, was 118 in the early phase, arterial imaging, and washed out. And that's not a surprise to anything um, that's going to be... Um, Muscle-related probably is going to wash out and not be continue to be very vascular as you go through the different phases. And one last thing to comment on is primary duodenal gist tumors are typically large, heterogeneously enhancing, and hypervascular based on this one article. But it's important to know that there is a range of appearances, and it's because of this range of appearances that things can be confusing. Now, we think about duodenal tumors. Uh, I mentioned... Again, it could be pancreatic cancer, but adenocarcinoma, lymphoma, 
are all possibilities. Duodenal adenocarcinoma. So I think at times you need to be very careful. Usually I can be perfect in coming up with a diagnosis in this case by knowing what the lesions look like in terms of the masses, particularly seen in carcinoid, makes it easy. But again, it's something to think about. And what we'll do is we'll stop here and then let's talk about just tumors that go beyond the duodenum in part two. So why don't you take a break? My voice is giving out. I need some uh, vitamin and water. And we'll come right back in five. See you in a bit. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctss.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.